Welcome back to the Energy Today podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Roos, and let's get into it. So looking at a couple price indicators from um, the energy industry, the energy market. So WTI is currently trading at $113 per barrel. Brent is trading at $111 per barrel. And the real surprise to me is natural gas. Natural gas is trading at $8. Um, quite high prices. I remember when natural gas was trading in the low twos. Um, not too long ago, low threes. So it's pretty insane that we're getting to this point where natural gas is trading at $8. Um, so I'll get into a little bit more of that later. The U.S. rig count is at 714 as of May 13th. Um, this is up nine from the prior period count and 261 from a year ago. Uh, that's pretty incredible, but not surprising. Um, 261 rigs coming back online during that time, um, as oil prices have only continued to rise, it's pretty expected that rig counts are only going to continue to rise up to a certain point. Um, from my understanding, a lot of, uh, when the rig count fluctuates quite a bit, um, a lot of times private companies that don't have shareholders to answer to are those that are the ones that are going to rush out there and bring these rigs onto production quicker. Um, than public companies who have shareholders to face uh, and that and that whole conversation surrounding that. So getting into a couple articles, um, the first one is um, from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, it's titled, European Foreign Ministers Fail to Sway Hungary on Russian Oil Ban. So a little background on this, the EU proposed a ban on Russian oil uh, two weeks ago as part of a new sanctions package. I believe there's been five already passed by the EU at this point. Um, and this is pretty astounding because, like I mentioned in prior episodes, during this whole um, tragic Ukraine-Russian crisis, war, whatever you want to call it, um, bro- uh, the EU is very reliant on Russian oil and oil product imports. So for them to get to this point where they're going to ban Russian oil is pretty amazing. Um Amazing in the sense that we've came a long way from initially where that was not really on the table. And I think as sanctions have hit all kinds of people, specifically oligarchs, um, businesses, um, very wealthy people in Russia's properties, uh, planes, helicopters, yachts, all of those things. Um, I think this is kind of the next step for them. Um, and this ban would actually mandate all EU countries except Hungary and Slovakia um, to end oil imports. So not just, not the entire um, EU, just, or the entire EU with exception of those two countries. Those two countries will actually have until the end of 2024 to actually implement that um, uh, import ban. But the sticky thing about this is that these sanction packages, and I believe all things EU must be approved by all of the countries in the EU. Um, so if you have one or two countries that say, no, we don't want to sign on to this, then whatever that is won't go through the EU and however those processes work. So more specifically looking at Hungary, um, there was a recently reelected prime minister, Viktor Orban. Um, so he was the prime minister while all these other sanction packages were getting passed um, and he approved or signed off on all of them or voted for all of them. Um, but now it's sort of coming to light that, at least from my understanding, that he has close ties with the Kremlin. 
Um, and now that he's been reelected, I think that this is kind of him putting his foot down and saying, hey, enough is enough. I don't want to sign on to this package because one, their country receives a lot of oil and oil byproducts from Russia. And two, I think now that he's been reelected, he's has more leeway to not sign, go with whatever else, whatever everyone else in the EU is saying. Um, so something kind of interesting to think about there. And he also refuses to sign on unless um, the EU provides them financial support. Um, it's been stated that to overhaul or modernize Hungary's uh, energy infrastructure, it'll cost somewhere between 15 to $18 billion. And you can't just switch energy structure infrastructure overnight. It takes a very long time. Um, so I'm pretty amazed that a lot of countries are willing to sign on for ending oil imports from Russia by the end of this year. Um, I know, I don't know a lot about Hungary's energy infrastructure, but I'm assuming it's not quite as good as some other EU countries. Um, And this is a very big cost that they want to share with the EU. Um, So it'll just be interesting to see how these negotiations play out going forward. I I get the sense that this isn't going to go through. Um, But with that, Germany has made it clear that if this proposal does not go through, um, then they will be okay with doing a full ban um, themselves. And I'm sure a lot of other EU countries will follow suit once their precedent is in place. Which is interesting because if you've been following the news at all, you know that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was a very big contentious point, sticking point with the US um, and Germany as... Germany signed off on the permit for the Nord Stream 2, and then the U.S. said, no, you shouldn't do that because it allows more oil to be imported and more reliance from Germany on Russia. But now, um, I don't know the specifics on why Germany all of a sudden made this switch, but I think it's pretty fascinating that they have actually made that switch. So something to kind of stay on the lookout going forward. Um, If this was to go through, we could expect oil prices to go higher. Um, I think that some of that... Uh, expectations are already priced into the market as oil prices are still um, rather elevated than normal price ranges. Um, but if this doesn't go through and you don't see Germany and other countries follow on with this, I would expect oil prices to start to come down a little bit, meaning that Russian's oil supply is not being totally taken off the market. Of course, Russian has plenty of other, Russia has plenty of other buyers for its oil byproducts, but if you cut out the EU, which is a fairly big demand source, um, I wouldn't be surprised if oil prices uh, remained elevated for the foreseeable future. So next article, looking over at Saudi Arabia, the de facto leader of OPEC. So the title of this article, again, from the Wall Street Journal. Um, actually, no, this one's from oilpress.com. So the title of this article is Saudi Aramco Posts Record Quarterly Profit on Surging Oil Prices. This headline, you could probably insert practically any oil and gas company, um, but Saudi Aramco, Saudi Arabia's national oil company, um, is may, always makes headlines, right? So Saudi Aramco's third net income rose 80%, 80% in Q1. Uh, 2022 up to 39 and a half billion dollars and they actually pumped an average of 10.2 million barrels per day which is pretty astounding um comparing that to the u.s just this quarter they've pumped 
a little bit less, I believe, or somewhere around the same ballpark as the entire U.S. with all the oil and gas companies that sit in the U.S. as one company pumped roughly the same. Um, don't quote me on that. Somewhere around that time, around that number, uh, maybe it's 11 million barrels, something like that. Um, so pretty astounding numbers there. Um, they set their full year capex uh, anywhere from the range of 40 to 50 billion dollars, and on this, so when a company like Aramco sets their capex like that, they're basically saying that we want to build out as much infrastructure as we can, try and get all of our hydrocarbons out of the ground. And this fits with their vision uh, 2030 that uh, MBS, the the um, the leader in Saudi Arabia, wants to get their hydrocarbons out of the ground, get them to market, make money off of that, and then put that money and transition their economy away from being almost completely reliant on traditional oil and gas. Um, so a little bit of a little bit of an aside there. Um, but Aramco does use the dividends that they receive from Ar- or Saudi Arabia uses the dividends they receive from Aramco to fund their economy, like I just mentioned, as well as to fund their public investment fund, um, which again is being used and funded by Aramco to move their economy away from oil and gas, getting into tech and finance and all of these different things. Um, Oh, another fact about this article is that um, at the time of the article, Aramco actually overtook Apple, um, iPhone, all those all those uh, products. They overtook Apple as the most valuable company in the world. So, can't remember the last time besides this besides Aramco that a U.S. oil company was the most valued company in the world. But it's pretty impressive that that's the case. But again, like I mentioned, they produce so much oil and gas, and with this price point that we're at now. This isn't at all surprising to me. Um, kind of like I mentioned earlier with natural gas being um, very high. Um, another point from this article is that Qatar is actually in talks with Germany, France, uh, and a few others, uh, a few other countries in the EU to supply LNG liquefied natural gas to the EU. And natural gas is used to heat homes, stoves, all kinds of things, very vital to for life. Um, so something kind of interesting to think about there. Uh, Iraq, on the other hand, another country over there in the Middle East, uh, which is also one of the world's biggest oil producers, um, actually generated $20 billion in revenue, um, which is pretty impressive for a country that has been struggling uh, financially for a few years. And again, this is something that oil and gas companies have had to deal with for a little while now because they got crushed during the pandemic. Um, these national oil companies in the Middle East and all over the world got crushed during the pandemic, but now they're receiving quote-unquote windfall profits, which I don't think are unfair at all because they had to go through those tough times of oil prices being 40, 30, 20, you know, negative dollars per barrel. Um, so I don't feel like that's unfair for them to be making as much money as they are. Um, additionally, Iran is actually also in upping exports, uh, even without, even with us sanctions on the country. Um, we'll see where the nuclear deal takes us. Um, I believe negotiations are still underway there. If the negotiations go through, um, and they get done, I'm sure we could see a lot more Iranian oil onto the market, um, which I think will be good for a supply demand perspective. So that's all I'm going to say on that. 
And lastly, I mentioned this before on the podcast, um, this whole talk about energy security, energy security has been brought up um, kind of back into the limelight since this whole um, crisis in Ukraine has taken place. Um, so the ability for the world to function in almost entirely relies on hydrocarbons, oil, natural gas, oil byproducts, everything in the world requires um oil in some senses um, to make life possible and i think for a couple of years there was this big uh, push for renewables and and to fight climate change which are very very valid and noble and need to happen things um, but i think countries and people lost sight of the fact that we need energy to to fuel us now and yes, renewables are coming and they're here and they're on the way and they're going to be great and all of those things. But still, for the remainder of everyone that's listening to this podcast lifetime, we're going to need um, that energy security and that traditional oil and gas uh, in the equation. So just a little aside I wanted to throw in there at the end. I'll put the links to the articles in the show notes. And I really hope that you enjoyed listening to the podcast today and I hope you have a great week.